Welcome to the 30-Minute Hour. It's the personal development podcast for authors, entrepreneurs, and career professionals who are looking to level up and become unstoppable. I'm your host, Eric Twiggs, your procrastination prevention partner. Joining me as always, you know him as the business strategist extraordinaire. He's the super CEO, all-around good guy, Ted Fells. Happy Thursday. That's right. Happy Thursday. Not to be confused with a happy Monday. Man, you just be sending me these links. You don't care <laughs> what else I got going on. You just send me a link and be like, look, we got a show. <laughs> but Tim, just... you, you have to admit, I have yet to steer you wrong on a Thursday. If we schedule something on a Thursday, there's it's a big. reason. It's big. It's big. Yeah. That, that, that person has a message that you need to hear like right away. We, we can't wait to our normal Monday episode. No. So, so we, we really got a special guest and she's going to share some things with you that's really going to make you think about what you could, you know, you and I talk with us all the time. We talk to people all the time. Well, I, I don't have time and uh, I can't because I've got this going on. I got a paper cut. I can't do it. <laughs> This is another one of those episodes where you're, you'll be like, okay, I have no excuses. I just need to make, I just need to find a way to make this thing happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as you can tell, this is not your everyday podcast. No, it's not. We, Duan, we do, we do things a little different. Even if, even, even if we go on every day, it's not your everyday podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We have episodes every day, but it's just not your everyday podcast. There is a difference. Uh, now, certainly, I mean, you, you, some of you are watching us live. You can watch us on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out to Dr. Rudy Jackson, who just chimed in. Uh, but then we record this, and you can catch the recording on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any of those places that you like to get your podcast. Also, special shout out. To those of you that are watching me on Instagram, we have the 30 Minute Hour Instagram page. So, so we have several of you watching me right now on IGTV. Shout out to you. And don't forget, <clears throat> wow, don't forget. <laughs> get it together. <laughs> Let me get a drink of water. It must be the outfit here in, uh, in the DMV. <laughs> oh. That's right. So our, our guest is from Colorado and she's got to tell, tell you all about the altitude. I just had an altitude issue right now. <laughs> but don't forget to check us out on the What Now Movement Facebook page. That's right. Yeah, you know, we help you pivot and take things to the next level. Today's Thursday, Thought Leadership Thursday. We feature different thought leaders uh, with uh, inspirational information. So make sure you check us out. Ted? Yes, Eric. I've got something that's on my mind. Please share, Eric. All right. So today, in honor of our guest, who we'll introduce here shortly, I'm going to talk to you about how to become financially free. Mm. That's right. How to become financially free. So, so one of my favorite movies of all times is Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. You know, one with Harrison Ford and Sean Connery was his dad and. Uh, Indiana Jones, uh, he, he's following this map, 
at this point in the picture. He, he, he's following this map. He's trying to make progress towards his goal. He's in hot pursuit of the Holy Grail, right? He could see it. It's in sight. He, he gets to this point where he can see where the where, where it is. There was this one big problem. So the Holy Grail, it was on the other side of what appeared to be this deep hole, this deep abyss, mm. right? He didn't know what to do. There's this problem. So he had to make a choice, right? He could play it safe. He could stay on his side of the cliff, or he could just keep moving forward. He's looking at the map. The map is telling him to move forward. But when he looks, he sees this deep hole. Mm. So, so he, he's got this debate. You know, is he going to play it safe or is he going to take a risk? So he presses forward, right? He raises his right foot in the air, steps right into this abyss. We all know what happens. Those of us that watch the movie, all of a sudden, where his foot lands, this bridge all of a sudden appears. Mm. Right? His foot landed on the invisible bridge. And then he just kept moving. And as he kept moving, the next step started to reveal itself and he made it to the other side and went on to get the Holy Grail. All right, so here's the big takeaway, right? This is the part the part where we need everybody's undivided attention, Ted. Right, we, we need your focus, right? If you're driving right now, like, thanks, Dwan, I appreciate that. If you, I'm like you guys in the spirit. I'm just waiting to be introduced. <laughs> right, so, so if, if you're driving right now, this is where you need to pull over to the side of the road. If you're in the gym, you just need to press pause on the treadmill. Anything else they need to do, Ted? Put the ham sandwich down. That's get right. the ham sandwich right about now. It's time to put it down. It's about to get good. That's right. Put the ham sandwich down. We need your undivided attention. We're talking about how to become financially free. Here is the big takeaway from that story I just told you. Freedom is hidden on the other side of uncertainty. Yes, it is. That's right. Freedom is hidden on the other side of uncertainty. You have to step out. You can't stay in your comfort zone. And I bring that up because our guest today, she stepped out into uncertainty and she made it to the other side. Not only that, she's taught thousands of people how to do the same. She's known as America's most sought-after real estate investor. Mm. She started as a broke single mom who's been fi- who had been fired from Denny's. <laughs> she mm. personally flipped over two thousand properties and taught thousands of people how to become financially free. Mm. She's also known as the queen of short sales. And it's considered to be the nation's number one expert on short sales and foreclosures. She's written three bestsellers, short short sale, pre-foreclosing, investing, and how to sell a house when it's worth less than the mortgage. Mm. Wow. Her most recent New York Times bestseller was written with Steve Forbes' Successonomics. She's highly sought after. She's been featured on Fox and Friends and MSNBC and Naomi's Good Morning, all kinds of shows. She's got a top-rated podcast that I know a little something about. Wow. Ted and I know a little something about her podcast. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
the most wonderful real estate podcast ever. <laughs> now get this. Her and her husband are rehabbing a town. <laughs> they rehabbing a town. Not a, not a complex, but a town. <laughs> a town. <laughs> That's right, a town. So we went to talk about that. She is making it happen. She is somebody. Yes. Please join me in welcoming to the 30-Minute Hour podcast, Dwan Bent Twyford. Yay! That's like the best introduction ever. I was thinking, who, who is he talking about? <laughs> it's you. We're talking about you. I know. It's Maybe crazy. You, you know, I, when I hear people introduce me, I think, wow, it's so crazy that, I, that I've done all those things. Because I, I feel like like some superstar should come like walking into the room. I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. Holy cow. I really have done all Super that. Star. Absolutely. I love to hear it from somebody else. It's like, wow, Eric, I just feel like so special right now. Now, I mean, certainly congratulations to you on everything that you've accomplished and, and how you've overcome the odds. And I know our, our audience is really anxious to hear how you did it. Let's I want to start from the beginning i mean let's go back to your childhood i mean what when you were growing up as a child what were you thinking like what did you want to be when you grew up you know it's funny because uh just for everybody listening i just had y'all on my podcast so we <laughs> had so much fun i'm still laughing over all the things that we talked about it's like you two are the my favorite new people in the whole world honestly and i hang out with you guys Thank oh, you. so I actually grew up in a very, like a really, really small town outside Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And my parents are from Tennessee. So I was raised by like, kind of like those strict Southern parents with the really strict Southern grandparents that like, make you get a switch off the tree. <laughs> oh, that's real. Oh, we might be, we might be oh, related. Oh, 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 oh. The, the, my biggest fear was my grandmother giving me that look and telling me to go get a switch. It was like, oh. Honestly, the threat of the switch should be the punishment because it's terrifying. You spend a half hour out there looking for the right ones, you know, not too hard. So, I mean, I'm not saying I was not abused by my family, but I just grew up in uh, a country. I think I was abused by mine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, I had, uh, so we grew up in a country. We had 10 acres. And as a kid, we had like uh, a horse and cows and chickens and a pig and we had a garden and we raised animals, had them slaughtered every year for our own food, raised our, uh, grew our vegetables, canned everything and just raised with that, that super Midwestern, like work really hard, get a job, work for the man, retire in 40 years and don't stray off of the path. That's the path. And, and my grandparents were the same, just get a job, get a job, get the benefits, get this, get that. And that's what you do. And so that was just pretty much all I ever heard my whole life. So in the seventies, I graduated high school in 77. So in Ohio in the seventies, the big job was getting a job at um, like Ford Motor Company or General Motors. Those were the big, they were paying like, you know, three times more than minimum wage. And, and those were like the big jobs. So my parents basically just said, you got a high school, get married, have babies, get a job at the factory, put in your 40 years and retire. Mm. And that was it. So I did. I got a job. I actually got my very first job out of high school. I got a factory job. Mm. Now, I don't know if you all have ever been inside of a factory. Mm. 
in June in the dead of Ohio, <laughs> but it's so freaking hot. <laughs> and you got to stand all day. And like people are like breathing. I was like, oh my God, why would anybody, why would you want this for your child? Like, why would you encourage me to do this? You, my parents would hate me. Why would they want me to get this job? <laughs> and oh my God, I only worked there for six weeks. And thank God they laid people off. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Most people don't say, thank God I got laid off. <laughs> no. You know, it's funny, Eric. They they don't. I you know, I really my I I feel like like looking back, my childhood was um it was just very sheltered. You know, I had curfews and you know, I wasn't allowed to do a lot of crazy and, So I just had uh, okay, I hear one of us echoing back. So I had didn't really, I really learned everything after I moved away from Ohio and moved to Florida. So I didn't even know what it meant to get laid off. I was just working this job and I knew I couldn't quit because if I quit, my dad would, you know, you can't quit a job. You've got to work, work, work. So when they were coming through, I was only there six weeks and they were coming through with these pink slips and I did not know what that was. So I asked them next to said because the whole factory got quiet. Like mm. you could hear a pin drop. So I asked this lady, I'm like, what's happening right now? She's oh, they're giving out pink slips. And I was like, I, I don't know what a pink slip, like, what's that mean? She says, it means they're going to lay people off. I was like, okay, what does that mean? She says, that means like you're going to get sent home. And I was like, oh, Jesus, please let me get a pink slip. I was like, oh, my knees. <laughs> I was like, then I could say to my dad, hey, I got laid off. I didn't quit. But I remember, it's so funny how you look back. I remember people around me, a couple of women especially, like crying. And they were so devastated. I'm like, oh, you should be thanking God you get out of this sweat. Why are you unhappy? This place is miserable. But these were women that were like in their 40s, and this is how they supported their families. But I was 18, I didn't get that. And so later, when I found myself in a situation where I had to support my family, it's like, oh, now I see why all those people were so devastated. I was the only person that was like, woohoo, I'll see you guys later. I'm out of here. And I was jumping out of that building. I, mean, I was like, do not call me back. I mean, because, oh, we may call you back. I'm like, no, 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 don't call me back. <laughs> but later, you know, I was that single mom. I was like, oh, now I understand why those women were crying. Like, this is my job. It's how it's for my family. I'm just thankful. I'm thankful I got laid off, honestly, because I hate to even think I would have worked there for 40 years. And that mm. factory is still in business to this very day. Mm. I'm like, I drive by it once in a while I'm in Ohio and I'm like, oh, thank the Lord that you all laid me off. Because I hate to even think I spent my whole life there. Mm. Wow. So so was it, it was Denny's where you experienced, you know, having to provide and got fired? I, <laughs> I got fired from a lot of jobs in my twenties. Yeah. Uh, actually, I got fired from most of my jobs in my twenties. But and I was a good worker. So it wasn't it wasn't my lack of of not being a good worker. But everyone would always say to me, like, "You tell everyone," because I did. I would like if I worked for you guys, I'd be there a week. I'm saying, "Listen, Ted, here's what you need to be doing. If you did this and this and this, your business would run better." So I was always telling people that were above me. Uh, they could do a better job and where they were lacking <laughs> the things that, that could i could it. see that could, get you, that, that could get you fired at new core vision i got fired from last time a lot of the owners were like well, you don't tell people what to do and i was like yeah but i can clearly see like if you could do these couple of things you'd have a more successful business and i, I remember telling a few of my managers like you suck as a manager i'm gonna take your job 
<laughs> they just kept firing me, Ted. I was like, what's up? Y'all just keep firing me. And I had to work for myself because nobody else would have me. I literally had to work for myself <laughs> after all that. So, so how do you, but how do you think those experiences shaped you into the person that you are today? Well, looking back, and at the time you get fired, you're just like, you're all butt hurt that someone fired you. Because I was like, hey, I come in every day. I'm on time. If someone doesn't show up, I take the next shift. Like, I'm the person that will, will put in two eight-hour shifts in a row because someone didn't come in. I'm that one. And I was like, why am I getting fired? But in hindsight, um, I, I was able to see the big picture in a lot of things. And, and I know I was meant to work for myself. And I think if I had not been fired from any of those jobs, I never would have finally been to the point like, you know what? I just need to work for myself. I just, if I work for myself, I can't fire myself. And, and being fired like 10 times, <laughs> like not one or two, all, a whole decade. Uh, of, of everything, waiting tables, working in a phone room. I worked at a gym. I sold cars, all of the places, because I would start telling people how to do their job better. And people just didn't take very kindly to my really outspoken opinions. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask, let me ask you a question. Did you, did you give them that feedback? Like, like, one-on-one -on -one, or did you kind of give it to them like in front of others? <laughs> a little of both. <laughs> you got to go. You got to go. Really? I don't know what it was. I, I mean, I guess I'm like that now, but I would just be like, Ted, Eric, listen, guys, you need to do this and this and this. You'd be so much more successful, like in front of whoever. <laughs> You're people losers just, now. So people would just, just look at me and be like, what? You can't tell the owner of business how to run his business better. Like, but my ideas are good. And so I got fired a lot hmm. and I expressed my personal opinions, uh, apparently too much for most people. So, <laughs> and I blurred, I just blurred it out and then I go, Oh, but you can't take it back. So hence I have to work for myself. <laughs> Interesting. So, so, so what was it that attracted you to real estate specifically? Well, you know what? Um, most of the people, that want to be real estate investors are actually looking to become real estate investors. Like they get on my webinars, like, oh, I want to be a real estate investor. And I had gotten married in my late 20s and I had a baby and she was eight months old. I was 30 years old and my husband and I split up like really unexpectedly. And he literally took the car, the money, like just bailed on me. And now I have this eight month old baby, but I'm not working because my, my, game plan is I want to be the homeroom mom. I want to be the field trip mom. Like I want to be the soccer mom. I'm going to be the Girl Scout mom. Like, you know, that's my plan. So now I have this baby and I have no money and I have no husband and I have no car. So I was like, man, I am so screwed right now. Like I'm so screwed. So I just took a minute. I thought, well, I like I was smart enough to know that if I went back and got a job, I would probably end up working until she was 18 because you got to support your kids. And I thought, well, if I'm ever going to make a break for it, I got to make it now. This is like, this is my come to Jesus moment where I got to make the break and try something on my own. And then if I fail, I get a job or I just get a job and play it safe or I go on welfare. I just play it safe because I'm a single mom. Mm. 
And like, that was it. So it wasn't even investing. I was just looking, I was actually just looking for any job that I could do from home. Mm. Now I know y'all are too young to remember this because y'all are just puppies in your early fifties here. But back in the day, the only place you could find a job was in the classified section of the newspaper. Mm. So I would go and call and make interviews and go show up at all these places. There'd be like 50 people applying for, you know, the same job or multi-level marketing or whatever. And I was trying to find something I could do from home. So that was what I was going to these things. And most of it was multi-level marketing. It was really, really huge in the 80s. I mean, it's always huge, but not like it was in the 80s. And I met these guys. I kept seeing them. They said, oh, we buy houses. We fix them up when we sell them. So my mind was like, oh, they buy houses. They decorate and they sell them. I can do that. I have excellent taste. I'm a great decorator. I'm going to decorate houses. And so that was my initial step into investing. I literally thought decorating and fixing up houses were the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to decorate. I have like great taste. My houses are all beautiful. And uh, it was not the same thing. So I, I didn't even really realize that I was becoming a rehabber and you have to fix and put in toilets and sinks and cabinets and screens and tile and carpet. I didn't even, I literally painted the house, ordered carpet, custom made blinds, hung a bunch of pictures, decorated the house and looked around and thought, God, this house looks awful. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to fix a couple things, but I didn't know how to fix anything. So I literally, I went to Home Depot and I took those Home Depot classes and I learned how to lay tile and put together kitchen cabinets. And I learned how to build screens and how to pressure wash and how to paint. And, and I learned and I did it like literally by the seat of my pants. So I really became like an accidental investor. I thought I was going to decorate houses <laughs> for real. <laughs> wow. I made 22,000 bucks on my first deal. So a single mom in 1990 and you made $22,000 in one shot. It was like, oh my God, I'm so rich right now. I was like, woo, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm going to do this again. <laughs> And on my second house, I hit like some crazy jackpot because I made 50 grand on the second house. And I was like, oh, my God, who makes this much money? I didn't know anyone that was wealthy. No person. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have like so much money in the bank right now. I'm just going to keep doing this. And then now it's been 30. My daughter's 32. So it's just I just kept doing it just on a bigger and a grander scale. And I started teaching other people. And then now I'm talking to you guys on the podcast. And that, that's just an incredible story. It's so, so crazy. When I look back and I hear people talk about, oh, rags to riches. I'm like, you know what? The fact that I really, truly did that, sometimes even still today, I'm just like, wow, I had cojones like that big to just <laughs> like move into a house and think I'm going to decorate and sell. And I moved in and lived in it with my daughter. And I look back, it's like, what on God's earth was I thinking? <laughs> but I'm happy I did. I, I guess I wasn't, it never occurred to me I would fail. And I always had the backup of, I can always work. I can get fired from more jobs. I mean, it's not that hard to wait tables, you know. And and no diss on anybody waiting tables. God bless you for that. This is not my cup of tea. And um, I don't know. I, I just, I look back and I'm like, I don't even know how that all happened. It's so crazy. That second deal, though, that's what sealed it. That $50,000 check, I was just like, <gasps> I called my dad. I'm like, oh, my God, because my dad probably made, 
like 30 grand a year or something working at his factory job, maybe less than that. I don't know what people even made in the eighties. Minimum wage was like what, three or $4 or something. I don't even know. I just know I had like more money I'd ever seen. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this again because this is a lot of money and it's legal. And I'm in South Florida and not selling drugs. So. <laughs> so in 1990, $50,000 a year was a good salary. So yeah. much money. I was yeah. just like, I would just look at my bank statement and be like, oh my God, I don't know what happened. And, and you know, then I, I did that. I kept doing that for a few years and then I started wholesaling. So wholesaling means that you get the house on a contract, then you sell it to a rehabber. So you're not physically rehabbing anymore. And then that's when I started like making like money, money. Like I made my, my first million dollars wholesaling houses. I was like, oh my God, who has this much money? I was just like, I'm the richest person I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I was for a long time. I was like, I don't know anybody with more money than I've got right now. I don't know what to do with all this money. I just put it in the bank. I started buying rentals. And then of course I, you know, I had to buy a house and a car and a boat and a red convertible and, you know, you got to buy a boat and a convertible. I did. I had to have a red convertible. I had my boat. I had all the blingy stuff. And then later on, I was like, why did I waste my all that stupid blingy stuff? Like, what does that even mean? But, you know, when you first get rich, you're just like, or you're not rich even, just first make money. You're just like, woohoo, I'm going to buy all the stuff. And then you get all the stuff and you're like, okay. I'm going to buy rentals. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invest that money. <laughs> so, and here we are. And I'm doing a town. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that. How do you rehab a town? So it's funny when you and I, when we were all talking earlier, y'all live in Clinton, right? So my husband is from Clinton, Iowa. So I just came from Clinton, Iowa. So we go back for his high school reunions every five years. And so we've been going for 20 years. So the first time we went, I was like, you know, this looks like a cute town. Like it, it could be like a little Hallmark town if somebody just put a little money into it. It's like a little river town in Clinton, Iowa. It's on the Mississippi River. Really super cute town that like time forgot. Like people just moved out of the downtown and like out here, they put a casino and they put a Walmart and Applebee's and, you know, out like in the, you know, outskirts and people just left the downtown. So we kept going back. And on the last reunion, I was like, you know, we should see like this town. It looks like like time. It's literally like standing in time. We should see, you know, what's happening like down here. If they're doing anything. And so we contacted the downtown, it's called the Downtown Coalition, and they are doing like a, a regeneration, a downtown, uh, well, I can't think of the exact word, like a revitalization. They're doing a revitalization. And they have like millions of dollars in grant money. They have all this stuff. So I said, you know, we should like buy a building. So my husband, y'all don't know him yet, but when you tell him a building, that means all the buildings. All the buildings. <laughs> so basically, in the last three years, we have bought 20 buildings in this little three block. It's three blocks wide and three blocks deep. And we own, <laughs> we own like 40% of the whole downtown. I was like, oh, my God, this town needs. Absolutely. So, so Dwan, you were talking about you purchased the 20 buildings. So tell us about that. 
you you were in Clinton. So, so what we did is, you know, we found, you know, I watched, anyway, so we were, you know, going back for these reunions and, and looking at this town, and, and I watch a lot of Hallmark movies. I'm, like, completely addicted to Hallmark and the cute little towns, and everything's a happy ending, and the world is wonderful, and so I thought, you know, this town could be turned around. It could be, like, a really super cute Hallmark town. Like, we should get a couple buildings. And so we bought a building and then we bought like a second building and uh, we bought one from a woman who was 78 and her husband had passed away. And she's like, I just want to move to Florida. I want to leave Clinton, Iowa. It's too cold. I just want to sell my building. And so we're like, okay, so we'll buy this building. There I am. So, so you're yeah. known as America's most sought after real estate investor. You're the queen of short sales. Like how long did it take you to get to that level of expertise? Oh man, I don't know. I I started off like my first couple of years. I just did like two or three deals a year because I would actually move into the house and rehab it while I was living in it. So my daughter was with me every day, and um, I, I moved until she started kindergarten. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, time to stop moving into houses. I gotta, you know, put this child in school and. This is where we're going to live now. And um, I met up with another woman down there that was single and she was working. And we're like, you know what? Two of us could probably do more than just one of us. And we just started flipping houses and flipping houses. So in the first, I don't know, the first five, six, six or seven years, we probably did maybe 200 houses. Wow. So we were really killing it. But, you know, there there. Right now, they have these things that are called REIA, R-E-I-A, Real Estate Investors Associations. And those are meetings, you know, just like any kind of meeting where real estate investors get together on a monthly basis and they meet and they talk and, and stuff. So when I, when I first started, REIA groups weren't even, they weren't even there yet. It was not even a thing anyone ever heard of. And I remember looking in the newspaper and seeing this ad that said there was going to be this meeting for all these real estate investors. And I was like, hey, I'm an investor. I'm going to go to that. And there were 80 people there, about 80 people. There was me and one other girl. It was all men. And I was like, wow, okay, there's a lot of investors, and they're all guys, and there's no girls in this. Am I, like, am I supposed to, are women allowed to do this? I, I didn't even know what was really going on. And a couple of years then, as I got to know more and more of the people and talking to more of the people, I started to realize that I was doing more business than they were. Mm. So, like, I don't know, seven or eight years in, I was like, holy cow. Now that I've talked to every investor in town, I'm doing more business than all of them. So I think I'm a rock star. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I think so. And next thing I know, people were like, hey, teach me, show me what you're doing because you're doing more than everybody else in town. And, and honestly, I just worked from a place of, I was afraid to be broke again. I was just so afraid to be like a broke single mom, that I probably worked way too hard in the beginning because I was terrified of, of reliving that situation. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like they call it as the, uh, the inspiration of desperation. <laughs> I was that person. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was. And, you know, even though I'd made those deals and I'd closed those deals and I had a house at this point and I had my red convertible and 
had all that stuff, there was still a place in my mind that was like, well, I don't know. You know, markets change. You could still go broke. You could still end up, you know, being this broke single mom. And, and so I, I think I just overcompensated a lot because I was really afraid to end up, you know, back at that factory, I think. Like fear of failure was much higher for me. Mm. The fear of going back to whatever was so much higher. Was high for me. The fear, not the fear of failing in my business, but the fear of going back to what I had come from was, was I think my number one motivation for a long time, for like a decade, like a full decade. I just wanted to work away from that pain. You know, they say people work like away from pain. I was a prime example of overworking, not wanting to find myself back in that same situation. And so I think I just like overcompensated. <laughs> it's really what happened. Wow. Okay. Oh, but I'm so, sure you guys can relate, no? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Uh, but then I really liked investing, and then I started teaching other people. I was like, well, if I can do this, I mean, I have no skills. People, other people can do it. And I started teaching people, and then I started having people send me copies of these checks for like 50000 60000 80000 I was like, oh, my God, they made all that money because I showed them what I'm doing. I can change other people's lives, too. So nobody has to be a broke single mom fired from Denny's. And that got me, really got the bug for me to start teaching and educating and sharing with other people because I thought, well, heck, I, I have the least amount of skills of any person I knew when I started, way less skills than any person ever because everyone that's learned from me was looking to do real estate investing. So I was like, hey, I'm going to teach it too. Wow. Yeah, so it's been the craziest ride. Wow. So, so what, what advice do you have for that person who's looking to get into real estate, but they don't know where to start? What, what advice do you have for that person? Well, I think that honestly, and I know this is going to sound like weird advice, but I think you guys will get it. I, the biggest thing that people do is they listen to their family and friends and they listen to the naysayers in their life that say things like, Eric, you can't do that. Hey, come on, man. You guys can't be real estate investors. That's not how it works. It's just not that easy. If it was that easy, everyone would do it. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I feel like if people would not listen to the people around them, the naysayers, I feel like people would be more successful if they would just say, you know what? I want to do this. I'm going to go for it. If someone can do it, anyone can do it. And I'm not letting people stop me from my goal. Wow. So, so the one, as far as uh, someone that's starting, I mean, I mean, how much, uh, how much capital do they need to have to start? Well, you know, honestly, they don't need any. Um, when you find these homeowners that are in foreclosure, all you have to do is do a sales contract, like a purchase agreement to buy a house, do a sales contract with those homeowners, and for real, just give them a $10 deposit. And then you can wholesale that to a, a person that rehabs or a landlord or somebody like that. You can wholesale that house for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 bucks just by finding people that are in foreclosure. So when I tell people that they can for real do this with no money and no credit and a real estate license, I am speaking the truth and from experience. So yeah. all they need to do is figure out how to fill out a sales contract, which they're online, they're free. Find a homeowner in foreclosure. There's a kajillion of them right now, especially with COVID. And... And get them under contract and find a rehab or a landlord that you find at a real estate group and wholesale the property and make some money and, and get rolling. 
I mean, really, I know that sounds really super simple, but it really is actually that simple. Wow. It's just having the cojones to make the first step. And the, the people that are in foreclosure, they're in the public record. If you go down to the county courthouse in any county in the entire country, all the foreclosures, all the divorces, all the probates, the people that haven't paid their real estate taxes, it's all public record. So everything you need is actually at your finger. And now, of course, everything's online. So 90% of the courthouses in the country, that information is available online. You just get online to your county courthouse, look up the foreclosures, contact those people and say, hey, I'm a real estate investor. <laughs> I want to help you out of your situation, even if it's your first deal. Tell me you're a real estate investor. And you want to help me out of a situation, and you just literally get a house on a contract, find a landlord, which is a million of those, and sell to somebody else for, you know, a fee, for an assignment fee. Mm. Wow. So, like like we said at the beginning, we, we've just taken a, an excuse from somebody. Somebody that said, you know, I, I'd like to get into real estate investment. I don't have any money. I don't, I can't put down a down payment. So according yeah. to what you just said, you know, it's, it's still possible. It is. I, I have done, honest to God, I've done at least a thousand deals where I filled out a sales contract for the state. You know, you have to do for the state where you live. I gave the homeowner a $10 deposit to secure the contract. Cause there's no amount of money you have to give a homeowner. You can give them a dollar. You can give them $2,000. You can give them $10. I give them $10 and then I give myself, you know, like 60 or 90 days to close on it. And I just find a rehabber or a landlord, mostly from the RIA meetings. And the RIAs are in every, like in your area where you guys are, there's, there's probably 15 RIA groups up there. And you just go to one of the groups and say, hey, I've got a contract over here for sale. Who wants to buy it? And people will knock you down to get a contract because everyone's afraid to go out and talk to the people. That's the biggest thing is people are like, well, I don't mind buying houses. I don't want to have to talk to strangers. It's like, hey, they're a foreclosure. They're not going to kill you. They're <laughs> looking for someone to help them out. And when you show up and say, hey, I've got someone I can sell your house to. We can split the profit. People will line up all day long to work with you. Wow. All right. And I know that sounds really easy. People are always like, Twan, it can't be that easy. I was like, listen, I'm telling you. Once I stopped thinking I was a decorator <laughs> and I stopped rehabbing and fixing the houses up myself, I started wholesaling. I made so much money. I made like $500,000 my first year wholesaling. Because all I had to do was find people in foreclosure and hook them up with a landlord and make a fee. And I was like, well, that's not that hard to do. Everything we do is wholesale. When you go to the grocery store, they pay less, you pay more. They're that middleman. We just become the middleman. Hmm. And that's why you don't need credit or money. So when people give me that excuse, I'm just like, no, give me another one. That doesn't work. But I'm not to find people. No, it's public record. It's free at the courthouse. Give me another excuse. And then they run out of excuses. I'm like, okay, so now it's time to do it. Wow. Mm -mm. It's an amazing story. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm telling about, you. I'm about to quit my company. <laughs> I'm about to go. Well, you know what? I'm up in your guys' area. We've done a bunch of boot camps up in your area, and we've done out door knocking, and we've probably wholesaled 50 houses up there in Capitol Heights. I've worked that area so much up there. I know the name of the homeless lady outside the McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. 
Every wow. time we see her, she's like, hey, Bill, do you want? And we give her money. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, seriously, when you're off in DC, like, oh my gosh, you guys work in my area. So, so is, is there a, a rehab plan for this area? Well, the area where you guys live, actually Capitol Heights is really a really good area. It's really, really up and coming. And there's a lot of what, what I call investor activity. So investor activity is when you drive through a neighborhood and you see a lot of dumpsters and you see a lot of rehabbers, you see a lot of landlords and people work in that area. And that means that area is getting ready to kind of flip and turn a little bit. And that is one of the best areas around up there because there's so much. You guys go through there sometimes and just drive up and down like five streets. You'll be like, holy cow, there's investors all over the place in this area. Wow. So many. And you guys, you could even yourselves flip a house. It's so easy. In fact, when I come up there, we'll go out and we'll go door knocking on the, the people in foreclosure and we'll flip a house and we'll come back on the show and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All you right. guys will be like, podcast what? No. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep your podcast because you help people not procrastinate and you help them with their mindset. And honestly, I, I tell people, I told you all this too, I tell people all the time, your mind is not your friend. If you listen to your mind and you listen to the people that say they care for your best interest, it's all negative. So you just have to get your own mindset and listen to people like you guys and people like me that know better. It's not all negative, and it's not true, and it doesn't have to be that way. Wow. But but the interesting thing is that the people that are doing the thing that you want to do, they aren't the ones giving you the negativity. Like it's not the like Ted isn't giving you negativity about being a CEO, right? Because <laughs> right. he's a CEO. It's the people that are working at the factory are the ones that are giving you the negativity. Exactly. I can remember so many times. So many, especially the men, because you know when you're raised by like southern parents, the women are supposed to be like barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And like my, even my dad and my uncles and my cousins, like you're a girl, you can't do that. You need to just get married and have kids. And like that was sort of like spoken over me my whole life. Mm. It's like, well, I don't want to get married. They don't want to have kids just yet. And I don't want to work in a factory. So you know what? I'm just not going to do any of that. I'm going to just make my own, I'm going to make my own path. But I did move to Florida. So when I was 19, I left Ohio and I moved to Florida by myself, which was in hindsight, a crazy thing that I did that. But I knew if I stayed in Ohio, I would never get anywhere because there was just like no support. And everyone I knew, all my cousins, everybody was working in factories or I thought, if I don't leave, I'm going to be stuck here at a factory. And when I'm 60 one day, and of course, I thought 60 was really old, which as it turns out, it's not actually that old anymore. That's right. <laughs> and I just, like, I knew enough to know I'd get stuck. Mm. You know? Yeah. So, so you're also... And that's not to say there aren't successful people in Dayton, Ohio. I'm sure there are. But right. with what I was surrounded by... I knew the only chance really was to get away from all of that and just take a crack at it because you can always go back home. You can always go back. Mm-hmm. But going forward is the thing. That's that's where the cojones come in. You you got to go. Even if you fall. It was cojones going tall, in. You're 60 further than you are. <laughs> yeah, wow. I have cojones. All right. 
So, so you're the host right. of the top rated podcast, the most wonderful real estate podcast ever. So, so what can people expect when they tune in? Well, so you all know my show is super fun. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, on Tuesdays, on Tuesdays, I teach. So every Tuesday I teach real estate investing. I take a specific topic and it could be something as simple as what to say to a homeowner that calls from one of your ads. So I teach every Tuesday. And then on Thursdays, I interview people like y'all. And that one's called Inside the Minds of Today's Millionaires. And then on Saturdays, we just do a quick 15-minute investing on the go. People out, just like, you're out and they're driving for dollars. Here's some quick tips. And then on Sundays, I do a session called Business by the Book. And I talk about all the things in the Bible that relate to money and running a business and being a good ethical person. Mm -hmm. Business Bible Book. So it's crazy. I started off doing only Tuesdays, and now I have 12 shows a month. Wow. But I have lost my mind. See, I over, I overdo everything. <laughs> I was just doing Tuesdays. I was like, you know, I should do a little thing. I was like, oh, you know, I should interview people. And I was like, ah, you know, what about people that are out there in the street? I should give them some advice. Next thing you know, it's like, oh my god, I'm doing twelve shows a month. I've lost my mind. <laughs> twelve shows a month, and, and I can say just as having been, we Ted and I had the um, the honor and pleasure of being on your show. It's going to air uh, down the road, but you have a good conversational flow and style with humor. And I think people really need to check it out. Absolutely. Well, thank you, guys. I got to tell you, people really love. I only started doing the Thursdays just this year and where I interview people. And I got to tell you, people love the interviews because I, I get guys just like you and we just talk. You know, like people want to know what successful people are doing and talking and thinking about. Hmm. Like we talked about salmon and pizza and chicken wings. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we did. people want, but people want to know. I love listening to successful people just have conversations. It's like, well, I want to know what they're talking about. What are they talking about? And inadvertently, when you have successful people all talking, there's going to be an idea that someone's going to hear and they're going to go, oh, hey, that one thing right there. So I needed to hear to take my next step. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and both of you gave such good advice oh, and such you. good tips. Um, and I was like, you know, that's the thing. Someone hears something, they go, you know what? Eric and Ted said this. I'm going to do that. Gosh darn it. I'm going to be successful too. That's so that's, that's kind of the purpose, you know, like like you guys are doing. That's what we're trying to help people. That's what we're look. That's what we're looking for, Duan, for folks to have that that gosh darn it. Uh, moment that right there just says a whole lot when 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 someone says that yeah I, it, it does and you know i used to in my uh 20s i one thing i did always do is i used to love to go to all those tony robbins motivational type seminars so i went to those every time one of them came into fort lauderdale i went to it i loved all that rah rah you know cheering and all that energy i always loved that and of course, I never thought I'd actually be doing anything like that. But I loved going to it. And just all those years of hearing all these people talk about doing their own business and taking the steps and doing the things and hearing people talk about mindset and all those things like that. You know, I, I never realized that, that, you know, a decade of doing that would somewhere in my mind be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to start my own business. What the heck? Mm. 
Wow. That's 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 interesting. You know, we have a you know, there's a question that we ask some of our often ask our guests because you you know you just uh, you're doing so many things you have so much energy and like what what does your normal day look like like when you start your day like you know can you walk us through that well it kind of depends on where i'm at so i'm not gonna try to be a vague answer but we have uh the town in iowa clinton so when we're in clinton my day is different when i'm in colorado where i'm at today my day is different I'm in Florida, my day is different, but all my days start with getting up and praying and having some time for myself and exercising or reading the Bible and eating healthy and taking my supplements and doing whatever I need to do first, because I've learned over the years when you jump up and say, oh, I'm just going to read this one email, you're sucked into eight hours later, you're in your pajamas and you didn't do anything yet. <laughs> I have learned so all my days start off with self-care. And then um, and when I'm in Iowa, we're at our businesses or we're working on something or rehabbing something. And I'm podcasting a lot. I do a lot of teaching, a lot of training, a lot of coaching. Um, we wholesale uh, houses still. So my days are, they're just, they're different, really. And when I'm in Florida, I'm kind of a bum when I'm in Florida. I tend to go to the beach a lot. I ride my paddleboard a lot. And, and uh, I think Florida's like where I go to just to be a bum. <laughs> so, ah, so Florida, when I'm in Florida, I'm usually chilling out and maybe having a rum runner out on my paddleboard. Nice. All right. In the middle of the lake by myself, like nobody knows where I'm at. Probably not the best idea, but I like to do that. Wow. All right. So we are now at the part of the show where we go around the horn, where each of us give that closing thought that we want people to remember about this show, about life in general, help them become unstoppable. Well, Duan, you're the guest of honor. What is your closing thought? Well, you know, I have a saying, and I, I don't know who said it first, but I say it to myself a lot. And it is that winners never quit and quitters never win. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So even true. if you try and you fail and you try again, you're still not quitting. Winners don't quit. They direct, they redirect, they pit it, but they don't quit. Winners never quit and quitters never win. Wow. No, that's great. Great point. All right, Ted. It's short and sweet. <laughs> no, that was great. That was great. You know, this this, this show is. You know, my, my my closing thought on this this show has just been different than any other show that we've ever had. Sure. Like, there's never been a show that we lost the the guests midway, <laughs> and that we had to for probably. Mm, 10 plus minutes, 15, try to fill. And, but the thing about it though is, is, you know, once you came back on, you know, we definitely, we did pivot. Like we went from using, you know, uh, you know, our virtual app to going to old school cell phone. And, and it just showed that the, that the, that the, the message needed to be heard regardless. 
right? And and, and I think that that it just shows that you know, no matter what, you know, kind of going back to we, what we always talk about, Eric here is that like when you're when you're locked in that room and you have to get out and you have to figure out a solution. We felt that the that 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 the message that you were sharing, Duan, you know, our listeners really needed to hear, and we were able to, you know, to to make that happen in spite of some technical difficulties. So we, you know, we really appreciate your time. We're definitely going to need to have you come back and do something else. We'll, we'll probably ask you to, to, to to log in from some other place other than your, than than, than your home or wherever you are. Right. Wherever. That's a good point right there. It's like, Tonight we're all winners because we got disconnected, all the crazy stuff went wrong, but we didn't quit. We could have all just said, well, okay, it wasn't meant to be, and just hung up and gone on about our day. But right here, we just proved the point, winners ever quit. We just got, we just, we figured a different way out and we made it happen, and now we're still talking and laughing and having fun. I'm sure people that are listening are like, what's happening right now? (laughs) (laughs) So it was great. Thank you. Yep. For sure. So as far as my uh, around the horn, you know, we like I said at the beginning, it's easy to come up with reasons why you can't do something or excuses, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Oh, you know, I've got small kids. Oh, I just got divorced. Oh, I just got married. Oh, 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 oh. But I think, Dwan, you're an example that no matter what you're dealing with, there's always somebody who's got that same challenge. Or even a worse challenge, who's making it happen? And, exactly. and I, You're exactly. I, I about so that. many people say, "Well, I've got kids." It's like you should be doing it because you have kids. Mm. Exactly. Stop. Every excuse people have, they should do. They should just turn it around and do any business, not even mine. Your guys' business, a podcast, being the the superstar CEO, like whatever it is, people just need to. Stop making excuses. You guys are right. Just stop making excuses and just do something already. Yeah, I mean, time is short and and really should be moving forward towards that thing that you feel led to do. And just, you know, think think about Dwan. I mean, you can even go back to some of the other guests we've had who've had these just crazy challenges and have found a way to make it happen. Uh, and, and that's what I learned each, each week talking to, you know, these different guests that they prove that Anything is possible if you really want it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It, it is. It is. And, you know, you guys, I'm sure, can agree with me on this. When you're in your 20s and 30s, you still think you have all the time in the world. Mm-hmm. But when you round up at 50, you're like, you know what? I don't have as many years left as I thought I had. And 70 is not actually even looking that old anymore. <laughs> exactly. And your mindset said about time changes. As you get older. So anyone in their 20s and 30s, like, oh, you know. But when you get up 50, 60, your mindset about about time really takes a major pivot because you start to recognize you're on the closing end over here. Like, you're in the third quarter. You're not, you know, you're not over there in the first two minutes of the game anymore. And I think people need to just recognize that anything you can do to work smart and use your time as wise as possible is your best asset because time really is limited more than you think it is. And we, I think we all feel it. I mean, I know for myself, I turned 60, I was like, oh my God, I used to think people in their 60s were like 
almost dead and now I'm 60. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, okay, 90 doesn't really sound that bad. Right, 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 right. That, that's, that's funny that you say that. I think about that all the time. But when you're, when you're, when you're at that age, it just does not seem as old as it used to seem. Yeah. It doesn't. It's but, like, I look in the mirror, I'm like, how on God's earth did I turn 60? When did that happen? And that's why I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to make my hair pink. That'll, that'll keep me young. Keep yeah. me young like you know, you know, you know, the thing is so funny about this. I don't really think about it until like the other day I was at a, a family cookout and a little girl came up to me, cute little girl. And she, she's like, what is your name? And I told her my name. She's probably, and she was like, you know, I was like, you know, she was like, how old are you? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm 52. And then, you know, you can't see this, but Eric and our viewers will be able to. She had this look on her face like this. <laughs> Like it was, yeah. it was so perplexed. Like, like really, like fifty. Mind, they're like, how are you still? Alive? How are you still here? Here, do you want to sit? You want to sit down? <laughs> You're like, wow, that's old. That is old. And she, Eric, and she just stared for like a minute. It was like, <laughs> she just looked at me, and I, and I just looked at her. I was like, well, how old no. are you? And she was like, eight. I was like, yeah. I remember kind of being eight. Yeah. I can, I can remember. I, I can still vividly remember looking at some of my aunts and uncles and being like, oh, my gosh, they're 40. They're so old. I don't know how they're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and then I cracked 50. And then I cracked 60. I was like, okay, I have a 95-year-old aunt. That's not really looking that bad anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Things our minds definitely change as we as we grow, for sure. For sure. Yep. Time is precious. You gotta seize the moment and do that thing that you feel led to do. This has been an awesome episode. So, Dwan, how can people connect with you? Well, that's super easy. They can just go on to Dwanderful. So it's my name, D-W-A-N, D-E-R-F-U-L, like wonderful but wonderful. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all over wonderful.com. They can opt in and get a free real estate investing program. So I'm just wonderful all over the place. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. We want to thank Dwan Bent Twyford for being our guest on this episode of the 30 Minute Hour Podcast. It's truly not your everyday podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't know by now. Mm. Yeah, as you found out today, this is not your everyday podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you like to get your podcast. There you will find us. That's our show for this week. Until next time, have a great day.